Hi, this is Women in Newix. I'm Dana Feeney, part of the Newix marketing team. Welcome and welcome back. Sonali Bavsar is a tech leader, an AI strategist, a mentor, and a champion of diversity and inclusion at every organizational level. Immigrating from India to the U.S. for education and professional opportunities, Sonali built an engineering foundation at Honeywell before moving into executive consulting positions at the big four accounting firms, where she provided insights on financial technology. And in her speaking and presenter engagements, she brings to the discourse an examination of the purpose and definitions of data, as well as the implications of how and why we gather data, from the technological to the ethical. Her passion and expertise on the subject is steeped in her own experiences. Here is Sonali now speaking with show host Emily Tice about conscientious coding and development, her volunteer work with Streetwise Partners, and the human costs associated with innovation. One note before we start, as with every Women in Newix episode, all views expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not reflect the employer or other affiliated groups. With that, here are Emily and Sonali. Enjoy. Uh, Hi, Sonali. Thank you so much for joining us today uh, to talk about your career and some of the work that you do with uh, your volunteer efforts. Uh, I want to get into some of the, you uh, shared with us about the work that you do Um, But I thought maybe we could start by getting a little background about how you built your career in tech um, or a little bit about your work history. Uh, So maybe you want to tell me about one of your um, early jobs and how you built your tech experience. Thank you, Emily, and giving me this opportunity to be on the podcast with with Newix and and with yourself. Um, uh, It's been really a pleasure. I mean, I've got used to doing podcasts, but uh, it's still a learning experience for me in in many ways. Talk about technology, we are all kind of jumpstarting to accept and Mm -hmm. um, become well-versed with it. Um, A a little bit about myself. Um, I I guess I'm a a little bit of a hodgepodge in in many ways. I combine uh, data, technology, and uh, compliance. Uh, But I have been a technology executive focused in more of financial consulting, wearing a technology hat for many years now with the big four consulting firms. And predominantly my clients have been uh, large financial institutions where I provide my services to them focused on, you know, data monetization, data quality, um, looking at solutions from a forensic lens and uh, how newer and um, exciting technology can be adopted for tapping and um, understanding the different forms of, of data that, that we continuously uh, evolve from, from one pace to the other, from one generation to the other. And now with Zoom and um, uh, things of Teams and video becoming more prominent, which was not the case before. So, um, you know, uh, it, I've been always passionate about technology uh, in, in general. Um, so for me, it, the technology career was something that I always loved. Um, uh, my parents always encouraged me for doing whatever I wanted to do growing up in India. Uh, it was either you became an engineer or a doctor. I mean, that was like the way to 
get your ticket to get education and and building your life into uh, upper middle class and and growing into building wealth um and that still is a true value for me uh, i hold education to quite a high regard that if anybody can give anything to um make a difference it would be the gift of education um and and having that skill i think goes you know way far uh, so for me uh technology was kind of a chosen career in in many ways but that was also a very passionate career so when i started working at honeywell right after uh, going to graduate school at temple um it was more like i needed a job uh, versus saying hey this is a career i'm going to follow but i really appreciated what engineering could do and it was a core engineering job from start to finish you know 800 plus you know development and system engineers building out a two year product life cycle a product that runs in pharma companies nuclear plants um oil rigs uh you name it and the control systems is 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 run by um Honeywell and one of the things that was very interesting is we wouldn't jump to code uh it was to understand the value of your engineering that made it down the road to understand when you code you build this how that affects downstream and that actually comes down to someone's life if something were to go wrong in that oil rig you knew someone's life was in danger and that end to end supply chain was very powerful and and till date uh 20 years in i still take that very very much to my heart that you are here with a purpose and you're not just you know becoming a data and a code junkie you're you're actually building something for a purpose that is driven to make a difference in a positive way into the ecosystem that we all live into um whether we are mobilizing to something exponential as as growth or something new and innovative but there is a purpose for it and I, that's something we don't see as doctors where you see instant reaction it's in for engineering it's always after the facts saying how does this make a difference and, and then you start kind of reacting to how does it make a difference um and that kind of you know became my passion of of growing other uh young women um even way back in Honeywell kind of you know pushing for uh bringing that talent of engineering uh, focusing on science and math as a driver for um uh women to kind of focus in in and young girls to focus in coding and and saying you know this is an exciting career it's not just for um you know boys or or men itself and i i believe there was a statistic that just came out yesterday i don't know if it was gartner or another statistic but they said that the women in health services and health sciences are 75% women go there whereas it's only 15% who go in math and computer skills and i i can't quote it but i can give you offline the quote but it was very very eye opening that you know in, in 2021 we are still seeing um the same trajectory where women are not getting into um the engineering and the math side of of uh, a very very lucrative career that you can build in technology itself Sure yeah it, it was very interesting to hear how you got started and I certainly um can understand and and um uh what you described resonates with me I didn't choose uh tech to start I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do 
was a little undecided. And I remember I'm, I have a very close uh, group of friends from college, and a, a lot of the guys were in the uh, the engineering school or in the computer science um, tracks. And I, you know, just didn't occur to me necessarily to do that, even though I had sort of an affinity for it, um, just working with computers, uh, but in a casual amateur way. And then I think it's very funny now that I work at a software company. I'm not a developer, but I, I'll play a little bit in SQL. I don't want to over over uh, <laughs> advertise my skills, but I'm not afraid of of the uh, you know seeing the back end and things like that. Um, and I still am close with those guys. And it's sort of interesting sometimes when we compare our jobs and they they see the psychology major who's now working in a software company, and some of them are now doing different things, right? So I shifted into that lane where they may have, some of them shifted out, some of them are still in parallel, um, similar jobs. Um, But it sort of found me, um, uh, I didn't, I didn't set out for it. um, But once I saw it, I saw some of the same things you saw about it, the ability to grow and, and, and learn, um, and also think about the downstream pieces of it. Uh, Certainly, my, my experience is mostly in electronic discovery and, and investigations, but we're always thinking about the user. Um, and I remember on one uh, project I was on, it was made very clear, the customer uh, that we were working with, they, they really wanted to be able to let their their employees get back to their day jobs, right? This litigation or whatever it is, um, is, is a distraction from their mission, right? They, these people were engineers sent to build something important. And so we needed to uh, facilitate the resolution of, of all the pieces we needed to take care of so they could focus on the true work that they were doing, building the kinds of things that you described. So I, I definitely um, see a lot of parallels in what you described. Um, and uh, it's interesting and great that you have worked um, or looked for ways to, to work with other women as you're coming up. I was thinking the other day of a, a woman I was speaking with and I thought, when did I meet her? And I said, oh, I was at this meeting. And the reason I met her was I went out of my way to introduce myself to every woman at the meeting. Oh, wow. Um, and it was several hundred, well, I don't know how many people were there. Probably 150 people. Let's say there were 150. Okay. I could not have met all the men, right? Because mm-hmm. the room is mostly men. Um, but I could go meet all the women. Um, and so I do try to uh, try to do that as well um, and build connections um, that way. Uh, but I love also, I know that you work and connect with people outside of your, um, you know, business day, um, with the mentoring that you do with folks who are uh, either unemployed or underemployed, and you bring some of what you just described to those uh, mentoring relationships. And I was thinking, I would love to hear more about that. Sure, um, it's a great question. I mean, uh, the individuals that I interact with through this nonprofit, and it was an introduction. Uh, from my firm um, that I worked previously in, uh, and they were a big champions and sponsors of this program for the undersourced community in in New York City. Uh, they do have initiatives in um, D.C. as well as in Detroit. Uh, but one of the things that really attracted me was I was committing to um, a weekly touch base with um uh, the sessions that we would have on Wednesdays for two and a half hours, but we would go through how to, you know, build some of the fundamentals of individuals who were probably first immigrants in uh, their family, of, of first immigrants in their family coming into United States, or they were uh, the first college-going graduate that was uh, going to be um, 
uh, getting a degree uh, in in engineering or or math, uh, even in different forms of sciences, or they were refugees coming from war-torn countries uh, to to U.S. So it was a very diverse form of really undersourced, underprivileged individuals, young as young as uh, 19 or 18 years old, and as old as you know someone with 15, 20 years. I met this Iraqi refugee uh he was a stellar doctor i i believe in 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 where he was but circumstances had a very different situation and he landed up coming to us but he had no network he spoke less english so one of the things that he was focused on was to bring english but he knew how to deal with you know uh, different diseases that we don't see here in us but he was a very well-renowned doctor in many ways. So it's kind of very um, challenging because it's difficult for me to say that even though I am a first immigrant who is here in U.S. for 20 years, came here to study and then, um, you know, continue to stay back in, in U.S. and, and uh, build my career here. Um, I don't have any career in India. That's just where I did my schooling. But um and when I meet uh, these individuals, um, uh, young kids who have been my mentees, and I do keep in touch with them, and their careers have taken very different trajectory, um, uh, they are looking for, you know, give me guidance on internship, and I'm going to be interviewing at, say, Bloomberg. And, um, you know, what does it entail? I'm like, what kind of a job are you interviewing for? And the guy was at a subway shop. He had been a butcher. He um, had taken night classes. He had worked for some startup company for making some digital mailboxes and make it as an e-commerce company. So he had been pretty much jack of all trades in different areas. But he had this one skill. He was very patient. He had a beautiful smile. And what he was interviewing at Bloomberg was uh, interacting um, with customers when they have uh, issues on their Bloomberg terminal. Um, they call in and you are that person who troubleshoots with you, whether it takes 15 minutes or whether it takes three hours. That's the guy who's going to help you get through that cycle of, of and they train you in that area. And I kind of started pivoting on understanding who he was through probing and asking questions. And what I discovered was he was very resilient with his um, demeanor in how he approached a problem. Uh, he wouldn't get angry at all. Uh, he had a beautiful smile, but at the same time was persistent in probing and asking more questions on how he could help. And I said, well, then this job is for you. If you're going in here for internship, you're well suited, get trained well. And the normal ask is if you do those eight weeks of internship, typically they offer you a full-time position and which happened with him. He did get a full-time position, but the way I kind of interacted with him, he was my mentee. Uh, we just did back and forth uh, q and I kind of gave him some irritating questions to respond and see whether he was holding up well. Uh, and we did that over video. So in case he lands up, he, he needs to cater to it. But got all his previous experience of um, uh, him being you know, resilient and, and having that grit and, and getting to that end game in the forefront of saying, well, you may not know the subject, but how do you actually approach it to uh, keep the other person calm because that person probably is losing money or there is an issue of, you know, someone saying, hey, you need to fix this now or to a point that person may get abusive in, in some ways or the other. So how do you kind of keep your composure because you're the 
business of customer service. And those are some of the things that I, I kind of cherish because every situation is different. Every individual that I'm interacting with is different. Their career choices are very different. Um, some have, you know, really big dreams and, and you don't want to be the one telling them uh, that it's not achievable. It's more of like, okay, that's your North Star, but how do we get to the North Star with, you know, nimble milestones that you can start addressing um, uh, in, in a month's time or two months time or, or certain skills that you can focus on before you start reacting to it. So with Streetwise, the program um, uh, who offers this um, a chance for a lot of people who work in corporations to contribute and mentor, uh, I couldn't have been happier. I mean, uh, uh, it's it's always something where I know the you know the drill of this is like I've done it now uh, every semester is like thirteen weeks I've done it uh, uh, four times uh, but it has been something where you're probing asking questions but you're also understanding why they do it the way they do it what's in it for the LinkedIn profile helping them build out the resume where they have no resume I mean and and the and the mentees know that it's a blank page they don't know how to fill that one page. And you start kind of figuring out what skill sets can you bring to light, and that's a challenge. Um, and, and it's a, it's a. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say it's a fulfilling challenge. In many ways, it's very fulfilling, but in many ways, it's daunting. Like, how do you make someone build their career out? What is it that I can give them? And and in your questioning your own ability at that time, what is it that I have to give that you're coming to me and you're kind of, you know, whacking your brain or like, really, you trust me with that? Like, okay, I will figure this out. But when you get through it and you kind of go, that's where my engineering mind kind of kicks in. You break it down and you say, okay, I want to get from A to B. What is it that I need? Uh, is it fulfilling to get to it? And that kind of builds my trust as well. So I always try to have that contract with my mentee is it's going to be a two-way street. I follow the pyramid way of uh, giving my feedback. I start with a punchline first and then give the context. Um, even though I do a lot of sales in, in, in my lifetime, it's it many times you kind of wonder like, oh, do I have to give that whole zigzag story of the inverted pyramid before you get to the punchline? Um, in feedback, I prefer that, hey, tell me good news, bad news, whatever it is up front and then back it up or, or give the context. So that's kind of my contract with them. And uh, I say it's going to be reverse. I'm going to learn something from you. Um, and uh, you're going to be honest and, and pretty uh, open on what you have to say. And we may agree to disagree because they have the full choice because you teach them how to write thank you emails. How do you, you know, do soft skills of interacting with other individuals? How do you go through interview process, et cetera? But there may be times when they have their own identity and individualism that you don't want to come and bulldoze it, right? Like, this is not the way it should be. Like, do I know what's the way it's supposed to be? I mean, you kind of have some pointers, but that's pretty much it. So it's been it's been that way of very satisfying experience of learning a lot of things and it has built a lot of uh, I would say patience with me and the resiliency because as we are growing new talent and and growing um, junior talent to come into in institutions uh, a lot of conversation we are talking about diversity inclusion the definition is vague it depends on who you ask at what time of the day um, but it comes down to how you really start applying it. And, and I think the future leaders will have to take that serious consideration of what is 
their contribution to really meeting a lot of these definitions in a practical way to to really make a difference for not just earning respect, but also the difference that they are going to make in the workforce itself. So I'll take a pause there. I know I went a little bit rambling all over, but um, I just you know wanted to give a better context to it. No, I really appreciate it. I think it's so interesting to hear about what, how you can map what you're, you've known and learned in your career to such different um, scenarios. You never know who you're going to be mentoring. The background could be so different. A lot of the mentoring that we all do in our day-to-day, whether it's um, programmatic or not, is with people who are in similar roles. You know, right. you might take on someone uh, under your wing at your company, um, and so you have a little bit more of a bridge to what they're doing. Um, but when you're stepping truly outside, it really, you've got to stretch those um, uh, perspectives and and see see how you can relate. So I think that's, that's a really interesting um, program. And I'm sure that, like you said, you learn a lot about it. I, I feel like, or learn a lot yourself from it. Um, so I feel often, uh, I can sometimes give people advice that I can't give myself, for example, I might, <laughs> I might have a really good or, or help, I don't know, helpful take from time to time on how to handle a scenario, um, or, you know, about a career thing for someone else. But, but for myself, sometimes I, I can't hear it till I'm saying it externally. So I'm sure when you're coaching, um, you you must have moments where you say, you know, that that's probably something I could apply to how this is going right now in my in my work day. Um, so that's a valuable lens as well, like a mirror um, that's to, right. hear, to hear. And as consultants, yeah. as you probably have faced it too, you get so used to your voice of, you know, positioning uh, innovation idea or an innovative mm-hmm. idea or uh, proposing uh, being a problem solver. And after a while, you kind of get used to hearing your voice as the only voice um, where you kind of, you know, assume that how everyone is going to react and, you know, what your team is going to take in as, as marching orders. Uh, but when you're faced with someone's um, and what becomes a daunting task is someone's life is mm-hmm. is something that you're going to make a difference to. Now, they may take all the advice that you have to give uh, to the T or they may choose mm-hmm. to negate mm-hmm. and, and still do what they want to do because it's it's nothing. It's, again, mentorship. So it's I can guide you. But do you want to take it is, is going to be completely up to you, uh, to the mentee. And, and that's kind of where you start figuring out that okay, I, I really can't say I'm in your shoe. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I probably can empathize your situation if the, the certain instances that resonates with my life or my career. But otherwise, I'm going to make a difference in your life with what you are doing. And, and if I'm going to give you that guidance and if you're going to follow it to the T, how can I continue to help you with that? And I think mm-hmm. that's the the big question mark of the unknown that, neither you nor the mentee know about it and the only thing you can do is help with the network uh, get you get that mentee introduced to your broader network uh, provide the skill sets and and coaching and then leave it up to the mentee to saying well I think you have a good foundation let the tree grow and grow Mm -hmm. in whichever direction it it needs to pivot and and uh, uh, align towards and and I think that's where that uh, for me, you know, I always like to know what the end goal is. Here you're working with a lot of um, mm-hmm. 
open-ended questions because you don't know what the end goal would be. And the only thing I can do is once they graduate from the program, we have this, you know, a monthly checkpoint and, you know, say how you're doing and where you are. And it's very satisfying if they have done something really positive and out of the ordinary. And when they say we want to give it back, and that's kind of, you know, you have done your role where they realize what it is to uh, give it back and and make a difference to somebody else uh, down the road that they would be, you know, coaching or guiding in, in whatever form that may be. So um, it's it's kind of, I, I don't know, I uh, when, when I did the first time, I was like, well, I'll just do it because I want to you know, see what it is to engage in in a nonprofit of this nature. And now when I go into it, it's it's more like, no, I got to do it. Like, what do you mean? I mean, my Wednesdays are booked. Like, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a given. Whether, it's a pillar. Yeah, it becomes yeah. like that goalpost that you're working with. Um, so, uh, no, it's, a, it's, it's been a very different pivot. And I think more and more as I start talking to younger women, um, who come into this program, they face a lot of religious challenges as well. They mm-hmm. are they're super smart, um, but then they face some of the social norms that they are mm-hmm. trying to um, kind of work through as, as they get into the broader corporations, uh, working with in teams, um, some of the social challenges that they uh, they face with what we are seeing today in, in our world. Uh, how does that adoption really, you know, take a strong stand and and still continue to make them believe in in themselves itself? is a It's a very daunting task, and many times, as as you probably have seen this, Emily, too, as as engineers, you you kind of don't get wired that way in in having that aspect of reaction. At least for me, I know that it's. Um, uh, for me, it's EQ, IQ, and CQ. It's mm-hmm. a culture quotient as well mm. uh, in the atmosphere and the culture that you live in. And uh, consulting taught me something really, really humbling where I would do projects in Latin America or Europe, not sitting in the US, but you were in midst of doing that delivery or doing that transformation work. You learned a lot on culturally how that would be accepted or not. And that's something I'm seeing more and more prevalent as we talk more about EQ and IQ. Uh, I think the EQ quotient has been now well recognized and a metrics around it, but a lot of it in culture quotient are still debatable and it's still an art, not a science, uh, where it depends on the flavor of the day and the institution that you're in and the demographics and and, uh, your team build up that you're involved and engaged how the culture gets the best of you in in many ways. So I think there's a lot of work to be done in in that space, um, especially for a lot of data and technology aspects Mm -hmm. as the the scale is very skewed um, with majority players being um, uh, kind of in a a gender biased way, more men and uh, focused on the data engineering side. But you will see a lot of account leads and, uh, folks who are doing more of the selling and the marketing are quite a bit women. Uh, and it's an interesting dynamics as you see more and more technology companies, you want more presence of technology leadership 
of women uh, kind of driving, you know, the software strategy, the platform strategy. Um, and that would be, you know, very, very humbling to see that presence kind of echo through the industry itself. Yeah, I love that you uh, brought up the the culture quotient because um, I you know I think you're right that EQ has been talked about for a long time the emotional element and and can uh, how to handle some of that but culture really does come into play whether it's the broader culture like you were saying when you're delivering in another region or just the the company culture or the team culture itself um, I know I I was somewhere for a very long time and then. Uh, came to Newix, and I got used to the culture that I knew, and 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 then I had a new culture, and I had to figure out what worked well um, in both places and which things I need to change, and uh, you know that's still something we're always adapting to and always um, trying to to figure out. Um, there are so many angles to 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 read and 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 figure out. I think I like that you highlighted that one in particular because we I haven't heard as much about that. Um, people are always talking about teaming, but I think calling out culture as part of it um, right. is important. And I, I think it takes a, a life of its own, depending on what parameters mm-hmm. you define the culture aspect of it. And I uh, did this uh, Women in Tech um, conference last year in November, and we have the other one coming up in June where uh, Michelle Obama is going to be one of the keynote speakers. Mm-hmm. But we are talking about women in tech, but the focus at that time, the topic that I focused was AI and ethics. and mm-hmm. um, or Ethics and AI, however you want to put it. But one of the things that really uh, I wanted to highlight was the factor of all the behavior analytics is the area that I uh, have been doing and focused on for many years. We can only consume all of your data if your data and its assumptions and its uh, data sources are not biased. Um, Otherwise, your analytics is always going to be skewed depending on Mm -hmm. who you ask, what you bring in, what are your tertiary data uh, sources that come in to play for your use case stories that come in uh, for for defining uh, what that AI would look like. And a case in point was... um, as you and I have a similar background of, you know, looking at forensics and other places, we are always looking for the bad actors uh, mm-hmm. and, and the bad entities. And and the question is, how do you define bad? Is it good and bad? Okay, so there is a moral line that you're working with, or there's a policy line or a policy defined from an organization's point of view or a regulatory point of view that's good and bad. But there is also the whole thing about ethics is, there's no good and bad as such. It's more of adequate and inadequate. Something may be completely acceptable in one culture and it may be a boo-boo in, in another culture. And, mm-hmm. and if it's run by the same organization, where do you draw the line of saying, well, that's bad behavior? Okay, if that's a bad behavior, then are you going to culturally change it or you're going to change your policy to make sure that it will be ethically right or wrong? And and the question is, mm-hmm. is right and wrong a very hard line or do you really want to call it as adequate line and an inadequate line that that's acceptable but that's borderline and that's not acceptable in many ways so you can't take culturally something that's adoptable and adapt it in a different environment and expect the same outcomes uh, i won't say the outputs but the same outcomes and i think that's a big differentiation 
on what you're getting as the end goal. And I know we have deviated from what we were talking before, but what I was trying to say is, as we talk more of the behavior, the CQ, EQ, and IQ coming together, if everything was designed with core IQ, I think everything would just fail miserably across the board. But I think the the focus of bringing the EQ and the CQ quotients as part of the um uh, your for next loop or your if then else statements, I think that's going to be a big differentiator factor as we see the computer revolution happen in next couple of years, where you're not going to make it just a pure binary decision. Uh, you're, you're really bringing in a lot of that gray area to define what would be adequate or or the kind of the uh, I guess the malleable decision that you will have to kind of live with only because of mm-hmm. what the situation would, would demand from you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's definitely something we all have to navigate every day. And then we're asking machines to do it on top of it, uh, you know, help <laughs> us with those compliance issues and things like that. People are always asking, you know, I want that sentiment analysis or something like that. And that requires a deep understanding of, of what's going on there. And, um, right. uh, you know, and all those elements that, that you're talking about. Right. And it just kind of becomes even more um, interesting because as we see a lot of the patented technologies around behavior analytics, uh, we kind of have started to discover that there are all these inherent biases that are already incorporated. And whether we call them as you know black boxes or something that can be uh, uh, translated that as it gets more data, it understands better. I think that's dependable on who you talk to. So I, I had this, uh, I don't know if you have seen this Netflix show, uh, not show, it's actually the movie documentary, The Coded Bias. Uh, I landed up seeing, she's an MIT uh, research um, a person and she's she's black and she was doing research with facial recognition. And mm-hmm. what she discovered was if you wore a white mask, like uh, just a, a simple white mask painted white it did phenomenal facial recognition patterns but when you came in as yourself as as a brown person or as Mm -hmm. a black person it just wouldn't recognize it it the prone the margin of error was very high and that kind of led for the research she was doing uh, joy was doing and she's the uh, main uh, person uh, in the documentary took her to a very different angle of what was going on and mm-hmm. uh, it, it, she started exploring more from a coding perspective, and, and hence the, sh- the movie is called The Coded Bias. Well, that's great, because I was going to ask you if there were any sort of things that uh, you would recommend to our audience. So that's perfect. And I'm definitely interested. I was just another example like that, um, that I honestly didn't know much about until very recently. I saw a Twitter thread about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the uh, automatic faucets in bathrooms uh, will work better when you put your hand there if you're white under the sensor for the water to come off really then yeah wow um and i just this is something that of course i as have used every day as someone who used well not now but when i used to travel right. in an airport what have you um that i just until somebody tells me their experience just am not aware of and it, it goes back to the same thing about the training and development of it um must have not been you know must have right. been on, on white hands on white skin um, and it's a reflection, you know, element. And so sometimes people will take paper towels to reflect back and things like 
so there's it's oh. everywhere, um, pervasive. But I, I will make sure to check that out. It sounds um, sounds like a really uh, worthwhile watch uh, for. I'll check it out, and I hope our listeners will too. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I, I think more and more we start seeing um, these awareness of, you know, just some practical cases. And I think that drives mm-hmm. the message home for people to say, you know, do I take data privacy and security for granted? Uh, oh, everything mm-hmm. is out there on Facebook or uh, everything is out there on Instagram. No, but not everybody chooses to be on those mm-hmm. platforms. They are silent entities as well. And I, I think what we saw with the whole 2020, I think it was a big learning curve for a lot of us to say, do you take your individual security privacy of what needs to be public? Um, I want to take charge of it. Uh, The one thing that I had is, and this was a funny conversation I had with a very senior leader in, in financial services as well. And we said, okay, if we give all this free time back, what are you going to do? And, and it was just, it came out of nowhere. I mean, the conversation came out of nowhere. And we were like, huh, watch more Netflix. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> so then Netflix will analyze what you watched and suggest something new. And sometimes when I'm uh, describing analytics capabilities that we have, I often, I often will say that, you know, to people who are just getting into that conversation. You know how Netflix or Amazon will recommend you liked this book? You might like that book. Well, if you think these emails are really interesting, I've got some emails over here for you. Um, But it was funny. Like we give you all this automation and RPA and we make your processes simple. You know, somebody else is driving your car. Nobody's driving your car. It's driving on its (laughs) own. What are you going to do in the car? Yeah. What, when you get that time back, what are you going to do? watch more Netflix. And, and it is just the, the whole, I think there were a few other people the, the room went silent and then everybody just burst out laughing. And, <laughs> and it was something that we kind of picked it up the next time around too. And we were trying to figure out, well, we're going down this automation path. Fair enough. We need to do it, but we need to continue to innovate. And if that's making room for more innovation, great perfect mm-hmm. but if that's making us more couch potatoes and and doing mm-hmm. more of nothingness is that really helping and if that's the case then is that thinking part of doing nothing going to help in in something you know dramatically uh, energizing down the road um great i mean that's a, that is what humans were designed to do in the first place so i think mm-hmm. th- there is it gets very philosophical in many ways as well the conversation but I, I believe that's a that's a fair question to ask. Where are we taking all this automation towards? I think, and I think that's for all of us too. Uh, whether it's just tech evolving or this this you know year plus that we've had, right? Right. There's been so much for us to assess. What do I want to keep? What do I want to not? Um, I've seen a lot of headlines of, um, uh, you know, sort of clickbait headlines. But I've almost clicked on you know who are you after the pandemic? Um, and this is this is a big reset for all of us. Um, Technology wise, because we're using all this tech, you and I are, none of us are in the same place, um, any, you know, as each other. Uh, and then just overall, like, you know, what, what is my, how's my cult, personal culture changed? Um, so lots of, lots of good um, reflection that we can all hopefully be doing and then applying as, as this, uh, as we evolve out of, of where, of this past. I don't, I don't want to imply it's over yet, but as we evolve towards, something a little brighter, um, we can ask ourselves a lot of those same questions. Right. Now, well said. It's uh, it's an important thing what 
what will be the case as we come out? Did we self, you know, self reflect and um, appreciate things that we probably took for granted, or did we really uh, mess it up for our own future going forward in certain areas? Um, mm -hmm. And I think uh, that's to be seen. But at the same time, I, I strongly believe that there is uh, a lot of room for improvement at a personal level, but also a lot of awareness of things mm -hmm. that have been just, you know, going forward or, or speeding through um, just because it was like, hey, that's what the big tech does. or this is what is expected for everyone yeah. to you know, uh, proceed ahead and, and we need to replicate or follow the model that has been, you know, laid out by big tech. And I think there's, there's going to be more and more of that branding understanding of who you associate with and uh, what is your contribution to, um, you know, the, the technology arena itself. I think that would be probably something that I would, you know, pay quite a bit attention to understanding. Um, uh, whether it's just, you know, take it as, hey, that's the new norm or or question mm -hmm. if that's the new norm as such. Yeah, absolutely. There there are big disruptions that allow us to, to ask those kinds of questions, whether it's moving to the cloud or a pandemic or, you know, just so many things like that. And in some ways that that's exciting. I'm not thankful for the pandemic, but it's exciting when assumptions are really up for up for reevaluation. That's right. I think the reset sometimes is is healthy. Yeah. Um, yes. But uh, I think questioning back and and reflecting, especially what we are seeing, uh, going back to the whole culture quotient aspects of it, and and what we see today in the organizations more and more about diversity and inclusivity and focus on mentorship, not just on um, women and um, mm -hmm. under-sourced communi communities or individuals who are from LGBTQ or transgender. Um, but overall, I, I think, you know, there have been opportunities to correct it. And then the question comes is, this cannot be just one-time shot. It has to be a continuous process for it to be effective. And, and at all levels, I mean, I mean, um, anybody who is a people manager would need to really, really think hard. How are they going to bring some of the key attributes of diversity in their day-to-day -day work? Uh, uh, if, if it's the definition of inclusivity within the firm or that individual's inclusivity definition or the definition of um, growth and uh, mentorship and just the opportunities. And you're not giving the opportunities because that person is from a certain ethnicity or, or color or gender, but you're giving diversity a chance because it brings a different mindset and you're not caught in that group think thought process. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's where the whole um, breakthrough of what we define as diversity is probably going to make a difference where it's not just the chief diversity officer's role, um, that that's what they are required to work with the HR and work with talent and work with senior leadership to make a difference. But it's how do you mobilize it and make it as part of your DNA? If you're really changing the thinking of uh, individuals who 
uh, contribute to your workforce and and participate um, and give back to your workforce itself. I think that's a that's a big ask of of leadership on the adoption process. But I think if done right, there is a, a there's a bright light that that can be really be a successful bright light down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's it's got to be sustained um, work that happens at every in every level, every conversation, and, and that's a that's a big ask. And hopefully, um, hopefully, we're all up for that challenge. Um, True. And maybe maybe the tech can help us do it too. Yeah, I think that's where tech can be. You know, a big um, driver in in probing and kind of questioning the status quo to make that big difference and and helping um i wouldn't say what not to do or what to do but you know how that adoption process could be successful within a certain organization and i don't think it's it's one formula um but it's a mixed bag of different uh, art and science coming together in some form to saying this is what will work for us but a little bit of uh, inclusivity or or more of uh um, interaction and empathy for all different mindsets that we have in the workforce versus, you know, just doing one shot, one thing, and then saying, okay, let's see what happens. Well, that mm-hmm. if it's not a continuous process, it, it won't make a difference at all. So um, I think technology would be a big, big driver to help make that successful um, mm-hmm. down the road. Yeah. Well, Sonali, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about um, what it's like to be a woman in tech, how you built your career, and then how you're giving back through Streetwise, um, as well as some of the conversations we had just about um, ethics in AI and where, where do we go from here. I really appreciate your time and really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Emily. Really appreciate you taking time to interview me on this uh, podcast. I don't know if it's interview is the right word, but I'm still learning the the lingo for for podcast. Um, It was really a pleasure to talk all things that uh, technology is contributing and not contributing to. But uh, I think it's just the beginning of a long journey ahead that we as, as women in tech have on our hands. Uh, to you know, keep our focus on on making things successful uh, and bringing more and more women and evangelizing the uh, mm-hmm. passion that we all share in engineering and STEM and uh, last and foremost to giving it back uh, yeah. uh, in, to the society itself. So thank you for giving me that opportunity. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you. Thanks very much to our guests on this show. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe, share, and give the show a five-star rating. Newick's podcasts are available on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Thank you for listening.